turn for our scripture reading this morning to John chapter 14. The gospel according to John chapter 14. Begin reading at verse 15 and read down to the end of the chapter. If ye love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments, and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us, and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him, and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not, keepeth not my sayings, And the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If ye loved me, ye would rejoice, because I said, I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. Now I have told you before it come to pass, that when it is come to pass, ye might believe. Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. We read the word of God that far this morning, and on the basis of that and many other passages of God's word is the teaching of our Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 20. Lord's Day 20, what dost thou believe concerning the Holy Ghost? First, that he is true and co-eternal God with the Father and the Son. Secondly, that he is also given me to make me by a true faith partaker of Christ and all his benefits, that he may comfort me and abide with me forever.
Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord's Day 20, we're still in the section of the Heidelberg Catechism that deals with the Articles of the Apostles' Creed. As a congregation, you've finished the section that has to do with God the Father and our creation. You've just finished the lengthy section that has to do with God the Son and our redemption. Now, this morning, with Lord's Day 20, we begin the last section of the Apostles' Creed. It has to do with God the Holy Spirit and our sanctification. What Lord's Day 20 has to say about the Holy Spirit is quite brief. And yet, even though this Lord's Day is short in comparison to many others, what it says about the Holy Spirit is thorough and complete. We're told the essential truths that we must know and confess about the Holy Spirit. In just a few words, we're told who the Holy Spirit is. He's true and co-eternal with the Father and the Son. In a few words, we're told what is the main work of the Holy Spirit. The fact that He unites us to our Savior, Jesus Christ. The study of the Holy Spirit is a fascinating and important truth for us to know. It's important for us to know who the Holy Spirit is and what His work is on account of the many errors that are taught with respect to the Spirit. All of the false teachings that have to do with salvation by man, man's working, man's willing, are in one way or another a denial of the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit in our salvation. The false teaching of certain Reformed churches that denies to the child of God the enjoyment of his salvation and the assurance of his belonging to Jesus Christ is at bottom a denial of the work of the Holy Spirit as comforter. And the false teachings of Pentecostalism and the charismatic movement with their false teaching about the Spirit and His presence and gifts and the emotion of the Christian life is at bottom a denial of the work of the Holy Spirit. Because there are all of these errors that abound with respect to the Spirit and His work, it's necessary and important for us to know who the Spirit is and what His work is. It's also important for us to know this because of the beauty and the importance of what the Holy Spirit does in us. Consider how important and how beautiful is the work of the Holy Spirit within us. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to unite us to our Savior Jesus Christ so that we are flesh of His flesh and bone of His bone. That's Beautiful, important work. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to sanctify us, to cleanse us and purify us from all of the filth and the pollution of our sins. Necessary and important work. It's the work of the Holy Spirit as comforter to assure us that we belong to Jesus Christ, that all of our sins are washed away in His blood. Beautiful, necessary work that that is. The work of the Holy Spirit is the source of 
real joy and happiness in the Christian life. It's the source of real Christian experience. What we consider, therefore, this morning is the gospel, the good news of our salvation. Good news of our salvation in Jesus Christ and the working of Jesus Christ in us by His Spirit. And that ought to lead us then to humble thanks, adoration, and praise of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Consider this truth of Scripture as it's summarized in the Catechism here. Under the theme, the sanctifying spirit. First, let's consider his identity. Secondly, his work. And then thirdly, the comfort that he applies to us. Who is the Holy Spirit? There are three essential things that we must know and confess about the Holy Spirit. First of all, what we must know and confess about the Holy Spirit is that He is a person. He's the third person of the Holy Trinity. There are many, when they speak about the Holy Spirit, that talk about Him in impersonal, abstract terms. They'll speak of the Holy Spirit as merely the mode of God's operation. Or they'll talk about the Holy Spirit as an impersonal force, an impersonal energy or influence or movement in this world. But the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal mode of operation or an energy, an influence, a movement. He is a person. We do not refer to Him as an impersonal it but as a personal He. That's indicated in what we read out of John chapter 14 in the language that's used there in reference to the Spirit. For example, in verses 16 and 17, we're told that the Spirit comforts, He abides with us, and He dwells with us. And then in verse 26, We read that the Holy Spirit is sent, He teaches us, and He brings all things to our remembrance. All of those activities that are ascribed to the Holy Spirit there are activities that can only be true of Him if He is a person. It's only as a person that He comforts us, He teaches us, He brings all things to our remembrance. does that mean when we say that the Holy Spirit is a person? When we talk about a person, we define that often as the subject of all of one's activity, one's thinking, willing, working. Put it simply, we often say that our person is that in us which says I, which is the subject of all of our activity. I think will work, that's our person, that unchanging I. Person is that aspect of one's being whereby one is conscious of self and then conscious of self in distinction 
from others with whom one stands in a certain relationship. Holy Spirit is a person. He's the third person of the Holy Trinity as the Father and the Son are persons. So the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit says, I, the Holy Spirit, along with the Father and the Son, is the subject of all of the activity of the one triune God, all of the divine thinking and willing and working. Holy Spirit with the Father and the Son is the subject of all of that. The Holy Spirit is conscious of self as a person in distinction from the Father and the Son with whom He dwells in perfect harmony and fellowship within the one divine being. Now, Why is that important? That seems really high and heady doctrine and we might wonder What of importance is there for us in knowing that? The truth is important on the one hand because it helps us understand the life of the one triune God within His being. There are three persons that stand in fellowship one with another. It's not just the Father and the Son and then this impersonal spirit, but there's three among whom there is perfect communion and fellowship. Understanding that the Spirit is a person helps us understand the nature of that perfect covenant life that God lives within Himself. On the other hand, the fact that the Spirit is a person is important with respect to us and our life and our salvation. As a person, Holy Spirit knows the church. He knows who all the members of the church are personally, and it's His work to gather them all together into the church. And as a person, the Holy Spirit knows me as a member of the church. If the Holy Spirit is not a person, if He's this impersonal force or influence then how can He know me? As a person, the Holy Spirit knows me. He knows all of the struggles, all of the burdens and the cares of my life. He knows my sins, my besetting sins, the temptations that I face. And knowing me, the Holy Spirit then is able to apply to me what it is that I stand in need of. Knowing my particular struggles and trials, the Spirit applies to me the grace that I stand in need of in those circumstances. And knowing my particular sins and struggles and besetting temptations, the Spirit applies to me the grace that I stand in need of. First of all, that we know and confess The Spirit is a person. Secondly, we know and confess with respect to the Holy Spirit that He is a divine person. He's God. The third person of the Holy Trinity. Lord's Day 20, and what it says about the identity of the Holy Spirit says that First, that He is true and co-eternal God with the Father 
and the Son. The well-known words of Jesus in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verse 19, indicate that as well. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name, singular, the one name of God, of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And in the Scriptures, there are divine names, divine attributes, divine honors, and divine works that are ascribed to the Holy Spirit. Names and attributes and honors and works that only belong to God. And when the Scriptures ascribe them to the Holy Spirit, it's clear then that the Holy Spirit is God. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, we often refer to Him as the third person of the Trinity. And there's a proper way in which we can use that language. The Holy Spirit is third in the Trinitarian order. First person of the Trinity is God the Father who begets eternally the Son and breathes forth the Spirit. Second person of the Trinity, God the Son is begotten by the Father and also breathes forth the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit as the third person is breathed forth from the Father and from the Son. There's a right way in which we can refer to Him as the third person, and yet we also have to be careful with respect to how we use that language and how we think about the Spirit, that we never relegate the Spirit to a subordinate place, as if the Father as first is most important, and then the Son coming second, and then the Holy Spirit in a perhaps distant third, and third in importance, or third with respect to being God. We may not think about the Holy Spirit that way. Though He's third in the the Trinitarian order and the, the life of the triune being of God, He is truly God. He's equal with the Father and the Son. He's equally eternal. He's equal in His being truly God and possessing the one triune being of God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three in one, equal and co-eternal. Important that we know and confess this truth about the Spirit that He is God. Only as a divine person that the Holy Spirit is able to carry out the work that He does. The work of the Holy Spirit is to gather in the church of Jesus Christ out of all the, the different nations. If the Holy Spirit is not God, then that work fails. It takes divine power to gather in the church. It's only God who knows who all of His children are scattered to the ends of the earth. And it's God alone who's able to powerfully gather them into the church. It's necessary that the Holy Spirit be true and eternal God with respect to His work of saving me personally. It takes divine power to save this sinner. 
so great is the power of my sin and so deep the pollution of my transgressions against God that there's nothing else that can save me from sin but the power of God. It's necessary and significant then that the Holy Spirit is true and eternal God so that we know and are assured that by His divine power He fully saves us from our sin. First, we must know that the Spirit is a person. Secondly, that He's a divine person. Third, what we must know about the Holy Spirit is that He is Holy Spirit. The word for spirit or ghost in the Scriptures is a word that means breath or wind. The Holy Spirit is the Holy Breath. Or the holy wind. There's a number of passages in Scripture that connect that idea of wind or breath with the Holy Spirit. One example is John 3, verse 8. The wind bloweth where it listeth, listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. And then in John 20, verse 22. And when he, that is the risen Christ, had said this, he breathed on them, the disciples, and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. As the Holy Spirit, the unique place of the third person in the one divine being of God is that he is breathed forth. The Father breathes forth the Spirit and the Son Breathes forth the Spirit. It's in the Spirit, as it were, that the Father and the Son meet one another. It's the Spirit as the holy breath of God that, as it were, helps us understand the the communion and the fellowship of the life of God within Himself. The word for spirit, breath, wind, can also convey this idea of of the panting of love. The Holy Spirit is the holy breath of love that the Father breathes forth to the Son. And that the Son breathes forth in love for the Father. It's in the Spirit that the Father and the Son, as it were, Meet one another and breathe forth eternal, perfect love. He is the Holy Spirit. And that word holy means consecrated or devoted. It's in the Holy Spirit, in this breath of love, that the Father and the Son are consecrated and devoted to one another. That truth about the Spirit also is significant. Significant for what it helps us see with respect to His work of saving us. We're anticipating here a little bit the next point of the sermon, which has to do with His work. We're still talking about His identity, but what we learn here about His identity helps us understand the nature of His work. As the Spirit, Holy Spirit, 
in his work of salvation is the life-giving Spirit. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the Spirit brooded upon the face of the waters and gave life to all that God had made. God, when He created man, breathed into His nostrils the breath of life. The Spirit, as the holy breath, is the life-giving Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who makes life to abound in creating new life. And it's the Holy Spirit who gives spiritual life. The Holy Spirit who can take one who spiritually is dead and lifeless and raise spiritually from the dead and give spiritual life. The work of the Holy Spirit as the holy breath that is an almighty, irresistible power. Not a one of us who could stand before the powerful wind of a tornado or a hurricane and try to stop that. There's not a one of us who could stand before even a gentle little breeze and stop it. The Holy Breath, the Holy Spirit is almighty, sovereign, irresistible in His work, in the hearts, in the lives of His people. Holy Spirit is the Holy Breath of God and His work works deeply to penetrate His people in their their deepest recesses. It's only this holy breath or wind that's able to, to penetrate to the very deepest recesses of who we are. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit in raising us to new spiritual life and sanctifying us. What we learn about the work of the Holy Spirit as the holy breath is that His work is invisible, and mysterious. We can see the effects of the wind as it blows along and it picks up dust or leaves. But we cannot see the wind itself. We can see the effects of the working of the Holy Spirit in us, but there's not a one of us who can plumb the intimate depths of the working of the Holy Spirit within us. His working is invisible, it's mysterious, it's wonderful, and altogether beyond our full comprehension. And that leads us then to worship. When we come to the end of our finite understanding, when we reach the limits of what we are able to comprehend, that ought to lead us to worship. And to praise, to acknowledge how great and glorious our God is, that He is so highly exalted above us. That leads us then to consider the work of the Holy Spirit. Lord's Day 20 tells us who the Spirit is, and it tells us what the Holy Spirit does. And although the Scriptures reveal many different works that the Holy Spirit carries out. Lord's Day 20, in addressing that, 
mentions just one thing and gets right at the heart of it as to the the main work of the Holy Spirit in our salvation. Lord's Day 20 says, Secondly, that He has also given me to make me by a true faith partaker of Christ and all His benefits. The work of the Holy Spirit is to unite us to Jesus Christ. Jesus speaks of that in John 14. The number of the verses Jesus talks about His being in His people. For example, verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless. Literally, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Verse 20, at that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. Verse 23, if a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him, and make our abode with him. In all those verses, Jesus talks about his dwelling with us. But then in the same context, he talks about the Spirit dwelling in us. And what we're to understand then is that Jesus dwells in us, and He does that by His Spirit. Verse 16, And I will pray the Father, and He shall give you another Comforter, that He may abide with you forever. Verse 17, Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth Him not, neither knoweth Him, but ye know Him, for He dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. we consider the saving work of Jesus Christ, we can distinguish two aspects of that. First of all, there's the work of Jesus Christ in accomplishing our redemption. That's the work of Jesus Christ for us. As He bore the guilt of our sins, as He came into this world as our representative, and as He suffered and He died and made atonement for our sins at the cross, by that suffering and death, Jesus Christ has merited for us all of the blessings of salvation. So that legally, all of those blessings are ours in Jesus Christ. The second aspect of the saving work of Jesus Christ is the application of that redemption. The work of Jesus Christ accomplishing our redemption in His life and death, and the work of Christ now by His Spirit applying those blessings of salvation to us. That's the work that Jesus Christ carries out by His Spirit. How is it that I, as an individual child of God, come into actual possession of those blessings of salvation that Christ has merited for me by the working of the Holy Spirit in me. The Spirit who applies those blessings to me personally, in my own life, and in my own experience. The Holy Spirit does that by uniting the child of God, to Christ. Before we talk about the blessings of salvation, beautiful and as important as they are to us, we may not lose sight of Jesus 
Christ. Before we talk about the gifts, we have to talk about the giver. Because we have none of those blessings apart from Jesus Christ and belonging to Him and being made a partaker of Him. The work of the Holy Spirit is to take me as a child of God and to unite me in a living union to Jesus Christ the head. It's the work of the Spirit to take this dead branch and unite it to the vine, living vine, Jesus Christ. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to take me, undeserving sinner, unite me to the bride of Jesus Christ and therefore the bridegroom so that we are flesh of His flesh. Bone of his bone. Heidelberg Catechism says that we're made partakers of Christ and his benefits through faith. Faith being the God-appointed means or instrument whereby we receive the other blessings of salvation in Christ. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to Regenerate me and give me new life to efficaciously call me out of the darkness and into the light and to work in my heart the power or the faculty of faith. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit to bring that faith to conscious activity so that by faith I believe in God and in His Son Jesus Christ. I trust in Him depend upon Him, embrace Him, and appropriate Christ and all of His saving benefits. Faith itself is a gift of salvation. Faith itself is one of the blessings that Christ has merited in which the Spirit applies to me. Faith is the means which God has appointed whereby I receive and enjoy some of the other blessings of salvation. work of the Holy Spirit in uniting me to Christ, making me partaker of Him and His benefits is the work of the Spirit on behalf of God's covenant. As the Holy Spirit is the holy breath of love breathed forth from the Father to the Son and the Son to the Father, so the Holy Spirit as the holy breath of love draws us into the fellowship and the communion Of that love. So that being united to Jesus Christ. I know myself to be a child of God. To be a friend of God. And to live in the warmth. And the intimacy and the love. Of friendship and communion with God. How wonderful. How important. Saving work of our. Lord Jesus Christ, by His Spirit in us. Uniting us to Him, making us partakers of all His saving benefits. When we talk about the work of the Holy Spirit in us, having united us to Jesus Christ, Scriptures especially emphasize the Holy Spirit's work in sanctification. In the Heidelberg Catechism back in Lord's Day 8, when it talked about the Trinity, it spoke of God the Father in our creation, God the Son in our redemption, and God the Holy Spirit in our sanctification. Scriptures 
speak of that as well. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11. Such were some of you, but you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And 1 Peter 1, verse 2. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit. The two outstanding benefits of our salvation in Jesus Christ are our justification and our sanctification. Justification refers to our being delivered from the guilt and the punishment of sin, our sins being forgiven are being declared righteous before God. Sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit whereby we are delivered from the power and the pollution of our sins. And the fruit and the effect of that work of the Holy Spirit is a holy, godly walk in the midst of this world. Those two saving works must always be kept distinct, we may confuse and mix them together, but at the same time they may not be separated either. Those whom God justifies, he also then sanctifies. When we talk about sanctification, there's a definitive nature to it. When the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts and gives us new life and unites us to Jesus Christ. By the working of the Spirit, there is a definitive deliverance from the ruling power and bondage of sin. Where prior to that, we were dead in sin. We were the slaves to sin and under the bondage of sin so that sin ruled over us. By the working of the Holy Spirit, there is a definitive break so that we're no longer under the ruling dominion and power of sin, though sin is still present in us. That's the language of our confessions. Canons Head 5, Article 1, says that those whom God regenerates by the Holy Spirit, He delivers also from the dominion and slavery of sin in this life, though not altogether from the body of sin and from the infirmities of the flesh. And Canons 5.3 speaks of the body of sin and the infirmities of the flesh in the words of the remains of indwelling sin. We are delivered from the ruling bondage of sin. Sin no longer rules over us as master. But we still have the body of sin, the remains of indwelling sin that remain in us all of our life. We talk about sanctification. There's that definitive nature to it. It's with that understanding that the scriptures refer to us as saints, as holy ones, because we're united to Jesus Christ and we have Christ as our Lord and Master and not sin. When we talk about sanctification, there's also a lifelong, ongoing, progressive nature to it as well. That's the work of the Holy Spirit all of our life long, cleansing us from the filth and the pollution of 
our sins. Our confessions speak of that aspect of sanctification when over and over again, the confessions use the language of more and more. If you read through the Heidelberg Catechism, that language is found in many different places. There's a more and more to our sanctification as all of our life long, the Spirit is cleansing us and purifying us. The fact that this is an ongoing, lifelong work is not in any way on account of the weakness of the Holy Spirit, as if He's not able to, to sanctify us wholly in a moment. Of course He is. But it's the will of God that all of our life we struggle with sin and temptation so that we're brought to see the wonder of our salvation in Christ. Neither is it the case that this ongoing and progressive work of the Spirit ever in this life makes us perfect or close to perfect. That's not at all the case either. Heidelberg Catechism says elsewhere that the holiest of men in this life only ever have a small beginning of the new obedience that we'll have in glory. Though throughout our life the Holy Spirit is cleansing us, He's growing us spiritually, at the very end of our life, we'll only ever have a small beginning of the new obedience. The fruit and the effect of that sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit is the presence in our lives as children of God of repentance and sorrow over sin of a love for God and for our neighbor and a striving to keep His commandments. Though we don't do that perfectly and we fall short in so many ways, that is present in our life as children of God. That's the infallible fruit and effect of the Spirit's sanctifying of us. Understanding this work of the Holy Spirit Brings us to recognize again the sovereignty of God in our salvation. Our salvation has its eternal origin in God the Father, the triune God, and His choosing of us. Our salvation has its only foundation in the work of God the Son and His death on the cross for us, and our salvation now presently in this life and our enjoying of the blessings of salvation is due to the sovereign, powerful, irresistible work of God the Holy Spirit. Sanctification is not as some say our work where God justifies us, well then it's up to us to sanctify ourselves. The work of sanctification is not a cooperative work where God does His part and we do our part. Sanctification is the sovereign work of God. Our salvation from beginning to end, from its eternal origin in eternity till its goal in life with God forever. And everything in between is the sovereign working of the triune God. Some might say, what about the passages of Scripture that call us to sanctify ourselves? For example, in 2 Corinthians 7, 
Verse 1, having therefore these promises dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. A passage like that doesn't in any way undermine the truth that our salvation and sanctification is the sovereign work of the Spirit. What a passage like that does is it helps us understand the nature and the manner of the Spirit's working in us. The Spirit in sanctifying us doesn't sanctify us as dead, lifeless stumps and boulders. But He makes us alive. He makes us conscious. He makes us active. So that by the Word of God, as we hear that preached, and the working of the Spirit applying that to us, we're strengthened to live a holy life, to turn from sin, to love God and the neighbor, to strive to live a life of obedience to Him. And always, always, the explanation for that is the Spirit's working in us. The fact that we will and we do what's right and pleasing to God is only due to and explained by sovereign working of the Spirit in us. This is an important aspect of the gospel of our salvation in Christ. Our Redeemer and Savior, Jesus Christ, is a complete Savior. He delivers us fully from the awful reality of our sins. While in this life we'll only ever have a small beginning of that new obedience, there is a triumphant, victorious beginning. We may not lose sight of that either. When we consider ourselves and our lives in the midst of this world, we know our weaknesses, our failures, our shortcomings. But we may not lose sight of the powerful work of the Holy Spirit in us. By the grace of God, we are able to strive against sin, to turn and sorrow and repentance from sin, to live for God in our daily callings. When we're faced with temptation, we're strengthened to say no to that, to turn from that. When we fall into sin, we're strengthened to turn from that and to live in the way of obedience to God again. Now, None of that, of course, is our own doing. It's not in our power and our own strength. It's not something that we, we boast in in ourselves. Powerful work of the Spirit in us. We honor the Spirit and the work of the Spirit in us, which is a triumphant, victorious beginning. He unites us to Jesus Christ, makes us partakers of His blessings, sanctifies and cleanses us. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to comfort us. The Holy Spirit comforts us by assuring us that we do belong to Jesus Christ. Not only 
Does he unite us to Jesus Christ and then leave us to doubt whether that's actually the case? But he unites us to Jesus Christ and he comforts us by making us to know, to be assured and confident that we do belong to him. Lord's Day 20 here talks about the fact that he may comfort me. And if you connect that back to Lord's Day 1 and what it says about the Spirit and our comfort, and therefore by His Holy Spirit, He also assures me of eternal life. Romans 8, verses 15 and 16 say, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of of God. From that point of view, that Spirit is the Comforter, as Jesus speaks of here in John 14. And that word could be also translated as Helper or even Counselor. The word carries the idea of coming alongside of another person to speak to them, either words of comfort and encouragement or words of rebuke and correction. That perfectly describes who the Spirit is and His work. He's our comforter. Not as if He only comes alongside of us. He's in us. Dwelling in us. He assures us that we belong to Jesus Christ. That we partake of Him and all of His saving benefits. It's not to say that the child of God in this life never ever has any doubts. There are times that we have doubts, and that on account of the weakness of our faith and our unbelief. But this is not the norm, this is not the will of God for His children in this life that they live in perpetual doubt about whether they're children of God. Spirit is the comforter. Especially through the preaching of the gospel, that, that comfort and that assurance is strengthened as the gospel proclaims to us Jesus Christ and Him crucified as our only hope and salvation. The Holy Spirit is at work applying and, and knitting that truth to our hearts as believers. So that we're strengthened in the confidence of our belonging to the crucified Savior. The Holy Spirit, as our comforter, abides with us forever. That's John 14, verse 16. And I will pray the Father, He shall give you another comforter, that He may abide with you forever. Holy Spirit, having taken up His abode in our hearts, never leaves us or forsakes us. Even when we fall into sin, and perhaps even fall very deeply into sin, the Holy Spirit does not forsake us and abandon us. He chases us in such circumstances. When we fall very deeply into sin, the Holy Spirit may cause us to have doubts and fears about whether we belong to Jesus Christ. And that way, chastening us to turn us from our sin, but the Holy Spirit never forsakes us. 
All of our life long, He abides in us. All of our life long, He's preserving us in our salvation so that we can never fall away. All of our life long, He's sanctifying us, He's cleansing us, He's growing us spiritually. Finally, when Jesus Christ comes again, the Holy Spirit will raise our bodies out of the grave and transform them and make them perfect like that of Jesus Christ. So that in perfection, body and soul, we will live in the fellowship and communion of our God. A wonderful Beautiful, how important. Saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ in and through His Spirit. How blessed are we by the Spirit living in our hearts and abiding with us forever and preserving us. And that ought to lead us then this morning to praise and adoration and worship of our triune God. All praise and honor and glory both now and forever to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we humbly thank and praise Thee the work of Thy Son, Jesus Christ, in His suffering and death, and for His work by His Spirit in our hearts and lives and applying to us those saving benefits. We thank Thee for the preaching of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. By it, strengthen our faith so that in faith we trust in, rely upon, and rest in Jesus Christ and Him alone our Savior from sin, and continue to strengthen us mightily by the Spirit to flee from sin, to live and walk in thankful obedience to Thee. Graciously forgive our sins. In Jesus' name do we pray. Amen.